Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the East German Fashion History Podcast. There have been some changes to our scheduled programming. So we're going to continue exploring DIY culture, synthetic fabrics, and the like in our next episode where we'll do a deep dive into East German punk culture and fashion, because I think that's a better marriage of the two themes, DIY and East German punk. Now, in honor of this magnificently spirited month, my favorite, that really ushers in the darker, colder season ahead, I've dedicated this as my Halloween episode, where I'll highlight all things Gespenst, or in English, ghostly and spectral, within Eastern Germany. Trigger warning, this episode contains graphic sexual violence, murder, and accounts of suicide. Now, when we think of ghosts and hauntings, as my friend eloquently put it, it's really a meditation on grief. And that grief transcends emotion into metaphysical space. That space can be a house, a building, even an object or a person. And specifically in Germany with its traumatic history, This country is laced with grief and numerous accounts of ghosts, poltergeists, and the like. But even before its modern history, Germany has had a rich folklore from Grimm's fairy tales to Krampus, which originated in Austria but has since the 12th century been a German Christmas tradition. And just a side note, in the month of December, I will have an episode dedicated to Krampus, Frau Perschta, and the Wildjagd, or Wild Hunt. But for today, I'm going to take you through four stories, all things spectral, ghostly, and paranormal. Now, our first one, uh, the shoemaker of Breslau, takes place in what would be now considered Poland and was found in the Gresse collection of Prussian folklore. So here it goes. The Shoemaker of Breslau. In the year 1591, on the 20th of September, a Friday, early in the morning, in the garden behind his house, a well-to-do shoemaker in the city of Breslau cut his throat. For what reason, no one knew. He had cut the veins of his throat with his knife and was obliged to die from the wound. When his wife had seen this and told her sisters, they were most distraught about this sudden misfortune, but sought to conceal it however they could, considering it was a great disgrace. She therefore told everyone who asked about her husband's death that a stroke had taken him. She also had the doors locked so no one could see what happened. But when her neighbors and acquaintances came to speak with her and to console her, the sisters of the widow did not allow it and said that she recognized their love and well-meaning very well, but the dead man had no need of their services. And the widow in her first distress, did not want to accept visitors. They should, therefore, if they liked, come sometime later. They sent to the church, they then sent to the church fathers and ordered a burial and gravesite and the ring of bells, which they achieved without hindrance since the dead man had been considered a rich man. 
But so everything would remain secret and no one would learn anything about the murder, that is suicide, they hired an old woman who had had to wash the corpse, which had lost its blood, and tie up the wound so tightly that no one could see anything of it. When she had done that, together they laid him into the coffin. The widow herself, who was recovering from childbirth, she had been lying in for just 10 days, had the priest come, so that he could comfort her in her grievous instance. And he did come and comfort the widow. But when he wanted to leave, the sisters of the widow suggested that he knew nothing of the matter, that he should at least look at the body once. This he did, without any thought that there was anything behind this. For the body was so well wrapped up on all sides with linen that even someone who was paying close attention would not have noticed anything. And they had to place, they placed it so high that the folded and twisted wraps could not arouse suspicion. On the third day thereafter, it was on a Sunday, he was buried with a great ceremony in the manner of those who are pious and distinguished. And such a send-off and funeral speech were, whole, were held as though he had led a holy and guilt-free life and had been a splendid Christian. If the relatives of the deceased believed that the murder would remain concealed since they had arranged things so carefully, nonetheless, a rumor came about the people to the effect that the man had killed himself and had not been killed by a stroke. At first, people did not want to believe it, but nonetheless, the rumor got stronger and stronger so that the council saw itself obliged precisely to question those who had been with the deceased and to demand that they admit in accordance with the truth what they had seen or heard and what each of them was aware of. Perhaps because all these people tried to talk their way out of it and did not stay with one answer, they could soon see that not everything was right. Finally, they conceded that he had fallen and hit a sharp rock and had injured himself in this way. They said also that in all had been found in his clothing, but they had removed it so that it could never again injure anyone else. The council, since the evidence continued to increase, now considered what was to be done. This too did not remain quiet, and some friends of the widow persuaded her under no circumstances to allow the body of her husband to be dug up, dug out, or put at a dishonorable location or viewed as a sorcerer or suicide. If they could not come up with stronger proofs. In the meantime, a ghost appeared now and again in such a form as the shoemaker had in his lifetime and during the day as well as night. It scared many people through its very form, awakened the others with noises, oppressed others, and others it vexed in other ways so that early in the morning one heard talk everywhere about the ghost. But the more the ghost appeared, the less the relatives wanted to celebrate. 
They went to the president of the court and said that too much credence was being placed on the people's unfounded rumors. The honorable man was being abused in his grave, and they found themselves obliged to take the matter to the Kaiser. Kaiser. But now that the matter actually brought about a prohibition, the state of haunting became even worse. For the ghost was there right after sundown, and since no one was free of it, everyone looked around constantly for it. The ones most bothered were those who haunted, those who wanted to rest after heavy work. Often it came to their bed. Often it it actually laid down in it and was like to smother the people. Indeed, it squeezed them so hard, not without astonishment. People could see marks left by its fingers so that one could easily judge the so-called stroke. Now, in this manner, the people who were fearful in any case became even more frightful so that they did not remain longer in their houses but sought more secure places. Most of them, not secure in their bedchamber, stayed in the rooms after bringing many others in so that their fear was dispersed by the crowd. Nonetheless, although they all waked with burning lights, the ghost came anyway. And often everyone saw it, but often just a few of whom it always harassed some. And the clamor grew worse and worse from day to day. With the whole city confirming the being, the council decided to do something so that the ghost would stay away. The corpse had lain in the grave now into the eighth month from the September 22nd of 1591 to April 18th of 1592. When the grave was opened by high command, present and present were the entire council, the innkeepers and other functionaries. In the open grave, they found a body complete and undamaged by decay, but blown up like a drum, except that nothing was changed and all the limbs and all the limbs still hung together. They were, which was remarkable, not stiffened like those of other dead people, but one could, e- could move them easily. On his feet, the skin had almost pe- had peeled away and another had grown much purer, much stronger than the first. And as almost all sorcerers had marked in an out of the way place so that no one could notice it easily. So did he have on his big toe a mole like a rose. No one knew the meaning of this. There was no stench to be noticed except that the claws which were wrapped had a repulsive smell. The wound in his throat had gained, had gaped open and was reddish and not changed the slightest. The body was guarded day and night on its spear. From the 4th to the 20th of the evening, he was put in a house there. Everyone could see him up close, and every day many citizens and many people from the neighboring areas went, went there. Nevertheless, the exhumation did not help. The ghost which they had hoped to banish by this means caused still more unrest. The corpse was laid under the gallows, but this didn't help either, for the ghost then raged so cruelly that one cannot describe it. 
But now, as the ghost was raging so terribly and thereby causing a great inconvenience to many citizens as well as to his good friends, the widow went to the council and said that she would admit everything. They could deal with her former husband with all strictness. But in the short time from April 24th to May 7th, the body had grown much fuller of flesh, which everyone could see who remembered how he had looked before. Whereupon on the 7th, the council had the hangman take the corpse out of the other grave. Then its head was cut off, its hands and feet were dismembered, which the back was cut open and the heart was taken out which looked as good as that of a freshly slaughtered calf. Everything together was burned on a pyre, built up on seven clafters of wood and much of, and many pitch rings. But so that no one would gather the ashes or the bones and keep them for sorcery as tends to happen otherwise, the guards were not allowed to let anyone near. Early in the morning, when the stack of wood had burned up, the ashes and sack were thrown into the flowing water, whereupon, through God's help, the ghost stayed away and was never seen again, end quote. Now, that is a really great account, and if you're interested in books on folklore, reality, and fiction, I would check this out, which I got from Paul Barber's Vampires, Burial, and Death. For our next story, we're going to look at the abandoned hospital Belitz Heilstetten. Now, this is one of the largest, oldest and largest abandoned hospitals with a 121-year history that began as a tuberculosis sanatorium. During World War I and World War II, it served as a military hospital and even Adolf Hitler was a patient there. Now, in 1945, Belitz Heilstetten was occupied by the Soviets for 50 years. Now, this was considered a no-go area for the East Germans. However, in 1990, SED party leader Erich Hünecke, who we've mentioned several times, was admitted to treat his lung cancer. And a month later, he fled to Moscow. He ended up passing away in Chile. Between 1989 and 1991, this sizable hospital complex became the crime scene of the Beast of Belitz, who murdered five women and a baby and tried to kill at least three more. It was said he sexually abused most of his victims. The killer was then found, the killer Beata Schmidt was then found masturbating in the woods by two joggers. In 2008, a 20-year-old model, Anya, was beaten with a frying pan and strangled to death by a fetish photographer who then proceeded to defile the corpse. Now, security guards have reported strange noises, sightings, doors randomly opening and closing in this abandoned complex. Nothing too crazy. But there's something to be said about spaces and buildings that haunt while they're occupied, living and breathing. Maybe the space itself was cursed. One sighting uh, I did discover in my research was through the paranormalguide.com that says, quote, they had received a, quote, 
a German woman who wants to be referred to as Anna had visited the location several years ago in her late teens. She went out there with four of her friends as they had heard of the hospital buildings, of these old hospital buildings, and wanted to check them out for themselves. Many of the structures are easy to access, but some were a little harder as they were trespassing. But access, but access them they did. While they were in one of the surgery rooms, she heard someone asking her for a scalpel, and this was obviously this was out, this was in German. She turned to her friends to ask what they needed a scalpel for, but no one was there. Her friends were gone. The next moment. She heard them yelling out her name, and when she found them, they too had a curious story to tell. Now, they had all gone into the room, gone out of the room after a few minutes, looking around, and they had already left. Together, they visited a few more rooms until about a half hour later when they noticed Anna was no longer with them. The curious thing is that her friends swore she had been is her friends swore she had been with them right up to the moment they started to call her name when they noticed she was she was gone. She was there one minute and gone the next. Now all Anna knows is that she did not leave the the surgical the sur- surgical room surgery room and did not venture into any other rooms. She had been alone in that room for at least a half hour, but for her it only felt like a few minutes at most. It wasn't until she was asked for a scalpel by an unseen person followed by her name being called that she realized she was alone. Next up, at Citadel Spandau, or in English, the, the Spandau Citadel. And this is considered by the Berlin Tour Guide Association one of the most haunted places in Berlin. So this is actually, this is part of, this would be part of the Eastern, East German territory. And while it was originally occupied by Soviets, that it then became British territory. So yes, actually, sorry, it is a West German, it is in a West German location. And I know with the exception of everything else in this podcast, um, this is really a classic, classic horror story from Berlin. Now, this was a 16th century fortress, and it's notorious for its sightings of Die Weiße Frau of Hohenzollern, or the Lady in White of Hohenzollern. And it all starts with Joachim II Hector of Brandenburg. He served as a prince elector from 1535 to 1571. In 1549, he married a Polish woman, Hedewig, or Hedwig, who had eventually died in a tragic accident. After that, he took on a mistress, Anna Zittau, who would live in in the Grunewald hunting lodge and birth his two sons. Now, 10 years before he would die, he had his son promise to take care of his beloved Anna, who 
Johann Georg, his son, was not a fan of. Now, when he, when Johann eventually came to the throne in 1571, he went back on his father's wishes and imprisoned Anna in the citadel until her death in 1975. Days before Johann died in 1598, he apparently saw her spirit roaming around in a white dress, a white gown. She is said to roam the halls um, of the now museum looking for a way out. And apparently when this was reconstructed, when they reconstructed the citadel in 1709, they found her skeleton. But another report says that she'd actually been walled in alive in the Grunewald Lodge. Regardless, though, there have been countless sightings of her um, in 1628, 1840, another account in 1850, and it was always before an impending death of a court family member. So the, the Berlin Citadel is still considered one of the most haunted places in Berlin today. I would definitely go check it out when everything opens up. Third is the Kinderkrankenhaus in Weissensee, the children's hospital in Weissensee, and it's nicknamed the Zombie Hospital. Now, this was built in 1908 to address rising uh, the rising concern of an increasing child mortality rate. It survived World War I, II, and the Cold War, and even had a new fancy wing added to it in 1987 by the East German government. In 2005, the property was sold to a Russian investor and a medical cooperative that wanted to convert the hospital, but it never really came into fruition. Now, another story tells of a Russian doctors who discovered a method for curing cancer and AIDS with radio waves. And apparently this method had already cured many people in Russia, but nothing was proven. And that's what it was used for. In the end, though, the place has remained abandoned and it's been called the, quote, zombie hospital because it's jokingly referred to as where zombies go to eat all the children and try to light the building afire. Today, it is a popular off the beaten path kind of tourist attraction and it's completely dilapidated and hazardous with um, no, no, um, rail on this no railway on the stairs there's trash everywhere furniture rubble you name it but the graffiti is really interesting and a lot of it is you know covered with covered covers all the rooms and always almost takes on a lot of pattern like forms it's definitely eerie if you go from what i've heard heard and what i've seen um through my research and a favorite among arsonists and stragglers while no paranormal sightings have been accounted for, it's definitely on the list of the top 10 creepiest things to do or ghostly places in Berlin. So be interesting to see how all that unfolds and what more accounts show up. Now, my last account is a chapter from the book Die Gespenster von Berlin or The Ghosts of Berlin by Sarah Kahn. This is a nonfiction book um, by the author's own ghost reporting. And this chapter is called Seance with the Stasi, translated by Jane Yaga, 
and it's available on the short story project uh, which is a great project you can find it online i think it's just shortstoryproject.com so here we go seance with the stasi now, Anna was born in Magdeburg in 1966. When she was 22 and bored to death of everything, she decided to flee East Germany. Of course, she didn't know that the GDR's days were outnumbered since she'd asked the spirits next to nothing about her own future. That was too touchy a subject. Some of her friends had also considered fleeing. Others had applied for exit visas and were waiting in fear of bad news. Plus, you always had to assume there were spies around. Imagine a spirit announcing to the whole crowd at a seance that Anaha was going to successfully escape the GDR next week. You just couldn't do such a thing. So it didn't work to hazard a glance into your own future. What the spirits did tell Anna and her friends were wondrous, sophisticated stories that captivated them. Once, a spirit had known Berthold Brecht turned up. And another time, there was a child who always sat on the right knee of the good Lord. It was fun and entertaining, whereas the reality and near future of young East Germans were neither fun nor entertaining. This is how it came to pass that Anna didn't ask the spirits about her own fate. Had she done so, she would have spared herself a fleeing, the arrest, and a stint in a GDR prison. Now, in those days in Magdeburg, Anna didn't have a job. She did have friends, of course, and those friends had red wine. And that red wine had a candle, and the candle had a glass. They formed a circle turned the glass upside down and set it on a table in the middle of the circle. Then they spread lots of slips of paper around the glass into a makeshift Ouija board. The words yes and no and all the letters of the alphabet and the numbers from one to a hundred, all arranged in intervals of 10. Each of them gingerly laid a finger on the glass and then they started and how gloriously the glass tingled and joggled and jiggled as Anna, as soon as Anna had summoned spirits, it really danced. Once they got someone right away, SOS, he said. SOS, SOS. Who's sending an SOS? They got a number, then another one, over and over again, the same two numbers. Someone fetched an atlas and checked the numbers against the axes of the longitude and latitude. It was a point in the South Atlantic, Magdeburg in the South Atlantic, and it was Magdeburg's red wine swilling Ouija borders of the terminal phase of the GDR that had eventually heard on the news that that next day, a ship had sunk off the coast of the Falkland Islands everyone aboard had drowned. Once they summoned a spirit and nothing happened. Then came a knock at the door. One of them stood up and opened it. There was no one to be seen, but someone stepped inside. They were all sitting cross-legged in a circle on crooked wafer thin old floorboards. And they felt how the boards rose and fell beneath the steps of the invisible weight weighty guest they heard the wood creaking 
the guests circled. The Magdeburgers a few times scared the hell out of them. Then he left. They all knew Anna was the one with the power to provoke such an audacious spirit. It never worked without Anna. And without her, it was always wonderful and terrible. But after this experience, Anna vowed to give it all up. Having spirits visit your home was too much, she said. You never know who's going to turn up and what they're going to bring with them. She said that she'd finally understood that she could only attract them, not control them. So it was settled, no more spirit conjuring, never again. But then came the story of the strange lady who sold clothes at the flea market like Anna did. The one who threw herself at Anna. The way the lady invited Anna and her friends over to her place was way too friendly. So fake, so hugely suspicious. Anna couldn't say no, however. She was hell-bent on showing off. So she gathered up her friends and a bottle of wine and showed up unannounced at the strange lady's place. The strange lady acted like it was such a pleasant surprise to see them. Then someone interrupted her chatter and said, clearly off your table, clear off your table. We need it now. So what they do? They turn the glass upside down in the middle spread out the letters and numbers they brought every they they brought along each of them gingerly put a finger on the glass and the strange lady didn't want to join she was really creeped out but they said come on don't be don't be such a drag so anna summoned the spirits and right away they had one a ghost in the glass at first they went around the circle just making small talk with him so I'm going to read you that, a bit of that small talk. Great spirit, would you like to talk to us? Yes. Are you a good spirit? Yes. Is it nice in the place where you are? Cold. What's your name? Ludwig Brendecker. When did you die? 1952. How old were you when you died? 57. What was your job when you were alive? Cripple. As soon as the strange lady started giggling, Anna came straight to her real question. Does anyone in this room work for the Stasi? Yes. Is the room bugged? Yes. Can you show me where? Yes. Say yes when I get to the place where the bug is. Anna stood up and walked around the room. When she got to the corner with the cabinet, the spirit piped up again. Yes. There was a radio on top of a cabinet. Anna reached for the radio and shook it. In here? Yes. Anna sat back down at the table. The strange lady was white as a sheet. Get out! She yelled. Now! but they didn't leave, they kept going. Do you know the phone number of the people who are listening to us right now? Yes. Can you give it to me? The spirit gave them a five digit number that started with a three. 
In Magdeburg, the numbers starting with three were Stasi numbers. This was a triumph for Anna. She had the abilities the GDR wasn't prepared for. She was jubilant. And so she thought, although death was still on her mind, that she could succeed in escaping another life she was waiting for. A life without shackles. She just had to make her move. So these are just a few stories. This is, this is just a part of some of the seances from that, that chapter, Seance with the Stasi, which I think is really interesting. And I think it's a really great way to sum up this episode because it all really ties back into ghosts, paranormal things happening, and you know spectral hauntings. But it says a lot about the past. It says a lot about the present than it does about the past. And I think whether you believe this story or not, I think it's really indicative that this ghost somehow knew that there were Stasi among them and where the room had been bugged. So on that note, I'd like to end our Halloween episode. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Looking forward to posting all this information on the blog, probably by definitely by Monday. And you'll have all the information for the past episode where I talked about synthetic fabrics, textiles, and the textile industry in East Germany. Regardless, I wish you a happy and safe Halloween. Uh, wear a mask and have some fun. Auf Wiedersehen.